with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, artificial intelligence is high on the agenda at the Zhongguancun Forum this week, and Singapore home prices surpass Hong Kong as Asia Pacific most expensive. And now let's begin with our top story. Top experts in science and technology gathered at the Zhongguancun Forum in Beijing this week, and they discussed innovation and prospects for global cooperation. Sujitian's Liu Jiaxin shares what she has learned at the event. This year's forum comes at a time amidst the ongoing uh, chip tensions between China and the United States. But what I learned from the forum is that scientists never meant to set barriers to each other. Take an ISA that can be used to design chip, for example. This ISA means instruction set architecture. Now, one ISA that names as Risk Five is totally open to any scientist, any company in the world. So this uh, uh, open source ecology also echoes the theme of this year's. Farm, which is open cooperation for a shared future. Now, so far during this round of、uh, chip design,、uh, I heard from one of the top scientists. He said China is not lagged behind. So that's one major caption I got from this forum. And this year's exhibition features on carbon neutrality, artificial intelligence,、uh, smart manufacturing, as well as health and medicine. I've seen、uh, that China is producing hydrogen fuel in、uh, in an industrialized scale. So far, 14 hydrogen. Gas station has been built in Shanghai. I also learned that、um, you know our metro system is totally controlled and、uh, monitored automatically.、Um, I also witnessed a flexible surgery robot that that can you know conduct this surgery in a tiny place. It is said to minimize trauma on human body. Over the past 300、uh, surgeries it conducted, it never failed even once. And that was Liu Jiaxin reporting. Artificial intelligence is also high on the agenda at the Zhongguancun Forum. When walking into the forum, visitors encounter various robots providing services such as delivery, reception, and guidance. Yang Chunxi is there. AI is all the rage right now. If you flip open the agenda for this year's tech-focused Zhongguancun Forum, you'll find at least five AI-related events among the list of topics. International Data Corporation says China's AI market could grow beyond 14.7 billion U.S. dollars in 2023, reaching higher than 26 billion by 2026. But despite being one of the world's largest markets for AI, leading experts have also laid out challenges for China in this area. From a technical and practical standpoint, we are getting close to the United States. However, we still have a significant weakness in terms of fundamental talent. In terms of the number of global AI companies, we are also about half of what the U.S. has. Additionally, there is a certain gap between us and the U.S. in terms of the number of universities that have doctoral programs in AI. But Chinese researchers are sparing no efforts to innovate. Others have also used this forum to introduce some of the latest achievements in the field. The Beijing Academy of Artificial Intelligence, a non-profit research group, also say they've released a new generative AI tool called SecGPT. How does it work? 
It divides an image or video into multiple segments based on the actual content of the image. For example, if I choose a rainbow in one image, the tool can automatically recognize other rainbows in other pictures and videos. This could help with things like self-driving car sensors, and be used to segment medical images such as MRI scans. This is because such models have the ability of contextual learning. They acquired this ability by learning general rules based on the relationships between different objects in a large amount of image data. The sense of excitement is high in the AI sector, with many calling the recent explosion of generative AI a transformative moment. Experts say the strong interest is sure to accelerate growth, experimentation, and innovation, both in China and around the world. Yang Chongxi, CGTN, Beijing. So for more on this, join us on the line now, uh, Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So Aina, first of all, it seems that every major country is now paying attention to the development of AI. So how would you describe the picture of AI and the R&D around the world? How would you evaluate the significance of the AI revolution we are seeing today? Well, AI has been around for a long time. It's just kind of burst onto the scene since uh, ChatGPT uh, was able to uh, put it in a, in a means where people could actually access it and see what it could do. It was really a, a situation where technology uh, was catching up uh, to the expectations. Uh, right now, it's a gold rush. It's a buzzword. Everybody's talking about it from investment bankers to uh, governments to technology. They see it as this huge kind of pandemic Pandora's box of different things, and they're trying to sort out exactly what it means, how to regulate it, and uh, what dangers and possibilities there are. Mm. And then, so what advantages do you think China have in the realm of the AI development? Um, China's advantage, in a way, is in its R&D uh, capacity. Uh, when we look at academic achievement, China has surpassed America in the share of highly cited AI papers in 2019. And last year, over one quarter of the AI conference publications globally came from China, comparing with the U.S. share of only 17%. And when we look at the AI companies, uh, a lot of them in China have wide application in the automotive industry and the driverless car industry. Uh, also, in terms of voice recognition and facial recognition, uh, China has one uh, has a few of the world's best companies. So it's quite in China's favor, actually, when it comes to AI development. Mm. And then, so in a move to accelerate the AI application, China has released a document giving support to AI applications in 10 scenarios, including farming, mining, autonomous driving, and medical services, etc. So how do you evaluate the significance of it? Um, China would like to use AI in more of the real business scenarios. Mm. And smart farming seems to be one of the most interesting ones. Um, because on the one hand, China would like to promote yield for staple food, uh, like the plantation and uh, the management of uh, food like uh, corns, wheat, cotton. And they have added the element of smart uh, management since 2019. And local governments were given tons of resources trying to deploy uh, stuff like uh, the drones uh, to uh, manage 
the different seasons and pests. And then farmers were given different type of uh, new equipment to try out uh, the right amount to use in terms of pesticides and fertilizers. So when it comes to the application in the commercial world, um, China has uh, tons of uh, uh, capital behind auto industry. But in the government realm, it seems that it is farming, mining, and medical services that are gaining the most attention. Mm-hmm. And Aina, so is the talent shortage in the AI business in China and around the world being exaggerated? Or how to quickly train the talents and improve the knowledge base of uh, industry workforce? Okay, so everybody's trying to uh, do um, AI right now, and they've jumped on it. Whether they were doing it before or not, everybody uh, has to say that they are. So you have 79 uh, large platforms that have been recognized by the Chinese government within China that are doing this. And, you know, initially, it's kind of like a, a snake. It's swallowing this huge animal. But the fact is, it'll be broken down. Uh, the market uh, cannot sustain so many. It's like electric vehicles. Remember, we many years ago, we talked about the 500 plus different EV startups that uh, were out there. And you're having the same issue here. So there's only a certain amount of talent, uh, talent pool out there. Uh, approximately 10% of the scientists and engineers out there uh, are currently capable of dealing with AI. So they're going to be in high demand initially until you see a kind of consolidation of the industry. Remember, Uh, In addition to what Dan said about AI, China's advantage is the massive data that it has. Because remember, AI, you know, that's a processing system, but it only learns through data. So the larger the data uh, base is, the more accurate and more it can learn. Also, you know, as also pointed out, uh, China has uh, more scientists uh, than uh, other countries uh, just in sheer numbers. And it has is always excelled at applications. So this is an area where you know it's it's fine to say we have these great ideas, but until you can put them into uh, work, and by work I mean where you can find areas where you can create time and cost savings, this is absolutely key because that means that the what you're doing, the AI that you're developing, is going to pay for itself increase profits and decrease uh, the uh, amount of uh, effort that it takes to um, make deliver a service or make a product. Mm -hmm. And so then it's been suggested that in the next decade, more than 50% of the jobs in the world will be replaced by AI. And now we have also the chat GPT. So what kind of jobs can be particularly vulnerable to AI, you know, competitors? And one of the most interesting research I've read is done by Zhang Dandan from the Beijing University. It's a fairly new research as well. Mm. Uh, in China, and the most exposed jobs so far uh, are the accounting, translator on banks like tellers, and sales in different retail industries, and the legal consulting. Uh, it is quite surprising to me that bank is uh, so up there um, mm. because we do uh, have uh, the plan to hire more of those front desk workers. But it does look like with the development of AI, um, a lot of those routine jobs can be very efficiently replaced, although the legal constraints and compliance in China in terms of regulations, they are not there to enable AI to actually fully replace um, workers with algorithm. So that would give a buffer uh, to this transition process. 
Um, but for the jobs that are least risky, and um, they go two separate ways. It's either the really high-skilled jobs, uh, like you as an anchor for a show, uh, or me and Ina as a researcher and economist. We are relatively safe at this stage. Mm -hmm. And also for the really low-skilled workers, uh, like those working in the recycling industry, for example, uh, or uh, home services, uh, the cleaning uh, men and women, uh, cook, uh, logistics, transportation, like drivers, they are still relatively safe here. Because for a driverless car to really take place in main cities in China, it will take years before the roads and the regulations are ready. Mm, but then, so can we send robots or with AI to the moon or Mars to help us explore the outer space? Uh, I believe we can. And that's exactly the point in the future. So we do not need to risk the lives of our valuable astronauts. And the most recent astronauts that we're sending to the moon actually uh, graduated from Beihang University. That's mm -hmm. where I did my undergrad. So for him, it's actually highly risky because he has been a professor uh, in, uh, in the university for years. For him to be trained for this job, is, uh, it's actually a quite difficult adaptation um, phase. But if we could do the right kind of uh, machinery using robots or not even the human-shaped robots, uh, just have some sort of algorithm in the space, that could save a lot of lives and potentially a lot more resources. Hmm. So, Aina, do you agree with that? Or in general, is AI a nightmare for the labor market or could it actually solve China's aging society and labor shortage problem maybe? Uh, I do believe that it is a solution because you don't need as many people um, doing uh, repetitive uh, information gathering uh, and seeing patterns. Uh, these are the types of things uh, that Dan was uh, referring to. When you're talking about an analysis, if you have a huge amount of data and you can comb through it and see the patterns uh, very, very quickly in microseconds, as opposed to you know taking weeks or even years to digest data and then come up with and formulate some sort of ideas. But what AI cannot do is ask the questions, at least not yet. There's no singularity where there's a self-consciousness where they can you know start saying, well, what what is the problem? They can't necessarily identify that. They can identify patterns and do things like that, but they're not at that next step yet. So I, I, I disagree slightly with Dan. I think that AI is going to rapidly uh, be uh, adopted. And the reason is because of, of cost. Um, if I can save money by adopting AI and I can beat my competitors who don't, uh, that opens up uh, a unique window for me, and you're going to see companies uh, jumping into that. But it's, you know, people have to be very, very careful. As I said, this is um, a kind of misunderstood area where people are just jumping on because, you know, everyone else is, is looking and talking about it. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. very few of them know what they're talking about. They're just, um, you know, basically living on the hype. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, Aina, actually, with the development of, uh, you know, the uh, AI and also the generative AI, even business insiders like ChatGPT chief are urging to regulate the artificial intelligence. So what do you make of that? And where should they focus the regulatory attention? 
Well, I, I always, uh, this is uh, like Dr. Frankenstein's monster. You know, they create this thing in the lab and then they say, oh my goodness, we need to be afraid of it. I, I, I don't really see it as a monster. I see it as a tool. And the question is how you use it. I, I'm less concerned about, um, you know, AI itself as the information that it feeds on. Uh, remember, I don't care what AI system you have, as you have no data, it is completely useless. So I, I favor looking at the data, making sure that the data is not only clean in the sense that it doesn't, um, there are different levels that can be regulated by the government in terms of what, what can be used, what can't be used, but also by, as I've said before, making this information more like a utility, more like water and gas and communications, you can actually increase the amount of um, you know, innovation that occurs because it is available to everybody. The biggest danger I see are that you're gonna have entities that have access to large amounts of data, uh, and they basically close out other entities. Mm. Uh, and that that you can see that quite clearly with all the, you know, whether it's uh, Google or Microsoft or whatever, they're they're trying to establish uh, a, you know, kind of monopoly on this to gain as much uh, data as they can and then be able to use that or to sell it to others. And I, I don't think that is uh, very good for society. Um, you cannot trust uh, the private entities to do this. We've seen that countless times before. So uh, I really do think that concentrating on the information flow itself could lead to a much better result rather than trying to regulate whatever comes out of, you know, <laughs> every, all these little holes in the ground where people are coming up with their own AIs and then trying to figure out how they can attach it to data. Mm, so now what do you think? Do you agree with uh, Ina? Um, I think there is a, a lack of regulation at this point um, because we do see that people are jumping into the field. Uh, it's not just China, it's around the world. AI companies are gaining the most attraction in the capital market. You've seen how their stock price had performed. Since the beginning of this year, a lot of the top AI companies have their stock price more than doubled. And this hype will generate a lot more unintended consequences. And we have already seen the wide application of AI uh, in the search engine, also in terms of, say, uh, approving consumer loans in the financial market or trying to diagnose cancer. There's a high chance that a lot of those technologies will prove to be really uh, forceful and in certain directions because it's very biased. Without the right regulation, uh, I don't think the society really is mentally ready or prepared to resolve those consequences. Mm -hmm. And then and talking about the AI development, uh, what about the financial and investment side of the story? Is this a risky business? Uh, it is extremely risky. And we have already seen the similar kind of piling up of capital uh, to the uh, consumer sector around 2015. And now uh, when people look at AI industry, uh, they can see the potential use. Um, but also now the prosperity is largely because the regulators let, let you have it. Um, but once the regulation is there, a lot of those smaller AI companies will certainly go out of business or lack continuous funding. And that can cause a lot of distractions to the already vulnerable financial market. And for the application of those AI uh, used in manufacturing industry, um, they are hastily adopted to reduce cost. 
And I can see the potential of uh, uh, replacing more labors in the future down the road. But when uh, unemployment becoming a bigger social issue, it will really have political pushback uh, for the wider adoption of AI. Mm. And Aina, so when we talk about the development of AI, the chip industry is quite critical for it. But will the U.S. chip sanction against China stop the globalization trend of chip development and even the AI development? Well, uh, no. I mean, uh, last year there was a lot of um, moves by the U.S. to restrict uh, technology coming to uh, China, especially chips and things like this. And you know, re- more recently we, you know, we had that kind of rock star appearance by the chairman of Nvidia. Um, it, it doesn't work. China is not being held back by that. They're going to obviously come up with their own homegrown alternatives. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at home prices in Singapore. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Singapore's private home prices have surpassed Hong Kong as the most expensive in the Asia-Pacific region in 2023. This is according to a new survey by the Urban Land Institute, a global non-profit organization. The median price of a Singapore home is 1.2 million US dollars compared to 1.16 million in Hong Kong. So first then, private home prices and rents in Singapore are the highest in Asia-Pacific. Why is it so costly? Um, The main appetite for the Singapore housing is supported by uh, the really prosperous job market, um, which supported surging rents. And there is a high demand from people around the world to take advantage for the Singaporean um, bright economic outlook. And a lot of people uh, living in Singapore are also trying to upgrade uh, their homes in this process. and we have seen that a Singaporean government is quite tight on supplying new land to build a, a residential housing. So there's generally a short supply of the residential housing in the past few years. The construction was also delayed in the past few years. So that has constrained the release of new housing, especially targeting the poor. Um, and when, it, when we look at the migration flow, um, there are a lot of investors and cash-rich people in Asia, including from China, uh, moving to Singapore to take jobs there or to relocate there, and that has uh, driving up that that has been driving up uh, the uh, regional housing prices quite significantly. Mm. So, Aina, now Singapore's private home prices have surpassed Hong Kong. So, does that mean something about their development? Not really. Uh, I, I see this as a temporary blip. The problem with Singapore, and I have so many friends, uh, very wealthy friends, who have uh, relocated down there. They're setting up bank accounts and moving money around and things like that. And it's a lot because of the uncertainty. But in the end, 
if you have money, you have to put it to work. Otherwise, you start losing it. So Singapore, yes, it's uh, very connected into ASEAN. Uh, it's a good platform down there, but it's it's not the same as Hong Kong. Hong Kong a connection to the greater Bay, Area, greater Bay Area is going to be more productive in the long run. So you're going to see people kind of going back. Why? Because it's easier to uh, use Hong Kong and be directly connected to uh, a big economic engine. Singapore is just, uh, you know, Switzerland in the middle of, of uh, you know, Southeast Asia. Um, it doesn't have an economy per se that you can really invest in. It has ideas. It has money. But it, the, the flow of money is always about where it can be, where it can make more money. And um, I, I think in the long run, Hong Kong will be better situated than uh, Singapore. Mm-hmm. And then, so as you mentioned, in addition to private homes, a portion of the properties in Singapore is public housing. So some have been advocating for the Chinese mainland property sector to learn from the Singapore model. What do you think? Uh, Singapore model has always been a good example for China's housing policy um, because the two countries have very similar uh, home ownership um, both are quite high. And for China, the home ownership in urban areas is 87% and in Singapore is 89%. Um, providing affordable housing has been quite crucial in China's urbanization. And for Singapore, uh, in the past 30 years, Singaporean government has made it a priority that they would like to provide cheap enough housing for an average citizen. So it had been a heaven for investors with low taxes and also for free free trade. Um, and part of the reason is because Singapore doesn't compromise the top priority of affordable housing for citizens. So their labor cost in a way is contained. Um, it also has the highest home ownership rates uh, among almost all the countries. And that has provided this stable um, outlook for uh, the job market there as well, especially for the low-income earners. Mm. So, Aina, so do you agree with uh, Dan on that? Yeah, but I, I'd put more emphasis. I think I think it's a necessity for China to move in, the, in that direction. Um, Having a home is a way of building wealth. It's also a safety net. Um, Quite clearly, the government is aiming to keep a lid on uh, prices and allow incomes and inflation to kind of uh, bring things back to some normalcy. Subsidized housing, I think, is very important in a way that allows people to build equity so they have their own safety net in addition to what the government can offer. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.